Thanks, Kevin. One of the things I love about the, the baptisms today is that they illustrate this promise that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks here at, at, during worship, and that is the fact that God said, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go all the time, I'm going to be there. Uh, and the reason I say that these baptisms illustrate that is because I don't know if you caught just a variety of places where people came to know Christ. I mean, one guy is in a McDonald's. We're in a car. We're at home. You're at a, at a youth camp. Uh, there's just all kinds of places and moments that Christ can step into your life. You know, when Jesus came, the Bible tells us that he came so that God would dwell among us. And that word dwell literally means tabernacle. It's the same word in the Old Testament, tabernacle, that God has made himself portable and that he can meet us wherever we are. Now, for some of us are used to that, you know. You, you've encountered God in all kinds of moments and places in your life, and it wasn't necessarily in this room or another room like this room, uh, but in different places. But at this moment, in this time in history, this is huge. And I think it's still a big promise that sometimes we overlook. Sometimes we maybe don't, I don't know, get that feeling of how big this really was. So we're going to talk about that today because... Um, I think it's just this great, great promise from God. I'm with you, and I'm going to watch over you wherever you go. And we talked about that last week and what that means, but I just think we don't get it completely. We don't fully realize what this promise is. Now, we've been studying the life of Jacob uh, in Genesis, and we've kind of wrapped this around the idea of this, this little phrase, where are you headed? Where are you headed? Because when I think about Jacob, his life just looks like a journey to me. It looks like a road trip. And at every exit, he's that kind of guy you just want to say, Jacob, where are you going? Where are you headed? What, what is this about? And I think our lives are kind of like that sometimes as well. I think it's this trip that we're on and we don't realize how significant uh, this, this journey is. Now, last week we looked at this famous story about uh, Jacob's ladder. And in the passage today, uh, we're just stepping into the, the next place uh, with Jacob. He's on his way to Haran again. It's about 600 miles northeast of his home in Beersheba. You probably want to make a note of that in your maps, those of you who are just really, really into that, uh, and just kind of trace that out. Uh, but that's where he is. That's where he's going. He's kind of he's getting out of Dodge. He's getting away from his brother Esau and all that happens there. And I think that what happens next in this part of the story, it's just so much better if you read it for yourself than if I tell it to you. It's just one of those, I think, I think you've got to see it. You've got to read it. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to stop along the way and, and just kind of make some comments uh, about the text there. So let's, let's begin uh, in verse 1 of chapter 29 in Genesis. And we'll go through eight verses at this, at this first little place. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. Then they put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We're from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, Yes, we know him. He said to them, 
is it well with him? And they said, yes, it is well. And see, look, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it's still high day. Uh, it's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the, the sheep. Now, in these verses, what we're going to find is that God is guiding Jacob uh, to the place exactly where Jacob needed to go. And his uncle Laban lives there. It's his neighborhood, his, his neck of the woods, that place. And we also see that once all the flocks are gathered there, the shepherds, uh, they protect this well. They kind of hide this well away from elements and predators and all of that uh, with this big stone that they, they cover it with. Uh, and I want you to notice that I think one of the things they want us to to realize that the storyteller, the writer, is to be sure and note this stone's big. It's a big, heavy stone. Okay, verse 9 and verse 10. It says, While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. He did what? Uh, don't let this roll past you. But uh, Jacob comes up and he moves the stone all by himself. You know, I, I just get this. That's what the text says. I think he's like a little boy showing off for the cute girl in class. I think he's like, yeah, I got the, yeah, you got to step back. I got this stone. I got it. You know, and he pushes it and he's checking her out. And Rachel's over there going, oh, my. Oh, you know, and it's, it's that kind of thing. It's this enormous rock. And, it, and, the, and the Bible says, and then he watered his uncle's sheep. Hey, let me get those sheep there for you too, baby. You know, he does that. So Rachel wouldn't have to. Do you get what's going on? There's some flirting happening here. There's a little romance. Some sparks are starting to fly. And in verse 11, it continues this romantic scene. And it says this, and this is a little, okay. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Guys, women love that. This is the coolest thing you could do. Chicks just dig. When you, when you first meet on your first date, just go up to her, do something impressive, pick her car up, you know, do something like that. Then just kiss her. And then just start crying. <laughs> She'll melt like butter. And just, anyway, that was, that's what he did. I don't know if that maybe there's something cultural going on there, but that, there's, just, that, there's just some flirting happening. In verse 12, it says, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So <laughs> I would run too. You know, this guy, he moves a rock. He kisses me and he starts crying. I mean, could you hold? I'll be right. I'm going to go get daddy. <laughs> and girls, that's what you should do. Go get your daddy. Go get daddy. That's what she did. And the Bible says... As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. There's a lot of running and kissing going on here. He runs, he kisses him, and he brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. He told him the story. He's like, wow, you're 600 miles from home. 
did you just come to visit? You know, what is, what is this? Uh, so he, he goes, and actually, you know, we're kind of meeting Laban for the first time, but if you've read Genesis, this is not, we're meeting him for the second time. We've already been introduced to Laban back in Genesis chapter 24. Uh, when, uh, and I think it happened at this exact same well. Uh, when Abraham sent his servant to that same area, he's trying to find a bride for his son Isaac. Now, Jacob, Isaac's son, meets the same guy at the same place with sort of the same agenda. In Genesis 24, the Bible describes Laban, Laban as he, he, he wore a lot of bling. He liked gold thing. He's one of those guys that had, you know, the rings and watches and bracelets and big chain, and he had like a Corvette camel, and he was just really, he was that guy. Uh, and, and so Laban is... He's, he's the sort of fellow, and, and if you're sitting there today now and you're, and, you're th- and you're tucking all your stuff in, hey, I don't care. God bless you. You're free. Um, but he was that guy who saw that, that was, that's what mattered to him. That was a big deal to him. He had this calculator in his head. You know, everything, you know, he related to in terms of how much did that cost? And what about that? And, oh, and he's always trying to work the angles and to get more, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. That's what his life is about. So when Jacob tells Laban his story, well, here's why I'm here. Let me tell you what happened. And, and he just, he tells the whole thing. At the end of that, Laban says, you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And, and here's what I think was going on. Because do you remember Rebecca, who is uh, Jacob's mom, She's a little eh, shady sometimes, you know. She, she kind of is sly about the way she does things. Laban is like that too. I don't know if it's a family thing. I don't know what that is. But, and Jacob is like that. So Laban looks at him and thinks, you are a chip off the old block. He sees himself as a younger man. You remind me of me when I was your age. That sounds like something I would have done. So he, he makes this connection. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, first of all, Jacob wasn't going anywhere, okay? He, not until Esau cools off, things settle down back at home. And Laban's comment to Jacob is, uh, well, it sounds like he's saying, Hey, I don't want to take advantage of you. Wow, you're in a jam. This is a tough situation for you. I'm here to help. We're going to work that out. But what he's really saying, what this actually means is, hey, we're glad you're here, kid, but uh, relative or not, you're my nephew, and uh, you've got a job. You've got to work. If you're going to live with us, you've got to work. And guess what? I'm your new boss. Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Wow. Now, nobody knows exactly how to translate this specifically. We could all be wrong uh, when it talks about Leah and this description of her. It could mean that there's just no sparkle 
You know, there's no twinkle in her eye, which was a, you know, that's a highly valued quality among women in the Mideast. And I don't know how you get that. <laughs> that's something you can just kind of work up or do uh, and get, just kind of get that, get that sparkle thing going. But probably what this means, what I, what I think it means, there's something wrong with Leah's eyes. They're crossed. They're maybe one want focus. Uh, there's something like that that alters her appearance. And people are a little uncomfortable. And she realizes that. Maybe she's had this since she's a little girl. And she knows this about herself. But whatever it means, it's almost irrelevant because Jacob is so head over heels in love with Rachel. He's only got eyes for her. In fact, he just steps up and he says, I'd like to marry her so much, I'll work for you for seven years. You ever say something and think, did I just say that? <laughs> seven years. That's a bachelor's and a master's, right? I would, have a ma- I would do this for you. Just, just Rachel's all I want. Verse 19. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Isn't that just what you want to hear your father-in-law say? (laughs) Might as well be you. Verse 20. (laughs) Uh, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time has completed. Don't you know he knew down to the exact day when that was? Seven years, boom! And he was was making his way over to Laban's house because uh, he's ready uh, to to marry this bride. That was some romance. If seven years only seemed like a few days, uh, but at the end of it, he's ready, he's tired of waiting, and it's at this point that the story takes this t- t- a twist. It's kind of crazy what happens next. Look at this. But it so fits. It so fits. Verse 22, So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah, and he brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Oops. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Look at the name tags. Check it out. This is wrong. This is what you have done. He says, why have you deceived me? Really? He knows a little, he's a guy who knows a little bit about deception, right? He kind of knows when he's being had, and he knows that that's exactly what's happening at this moment. And Jacob, you, you don't get the intensity here uh, in our translation, but he's outraged. He's so mad. I can't believe you did this to me. You're a tricky guy. That's great from one whose name means heel grabber. (laughs) Your name is tricky, and you're mad at me, but he is. He is. Now, think about how he felt, because we've all been tricked. We've all been hoodwinked, right? You know, and things have happened to us in life. Um, But think about how Leah felt. 
I've got a whole other message just on this moment in her life. Um, my heart has always gone out to her. I mean, here she is. She's so self-conscious about her appearance and her vision, and, and Daddy doesn't seem to be very affectionate. He doesn't want her. This guy doesn't want her, and it seems like maybe nobody's ever wanted her. I know she's been dead for thousands of years. I guess this was probably during uh, uh, the 1850s B.C. I, I'll have to go back and look to be sure. Around that period, 1900 maybe. Um, but I have always felt affectionate toward Leah. Doesn't your heart just ache when you read this moment in her life? She's just one of those people that when I get to heaven... I want to meet her and hug her. Leah, come here, girl. Come here. I can't do How, you know, men. You know, just want to meet her. When she's got all this going on in her life, she already feels this huge sense of rejection, and then this happens. How embarrassing. How humiliated she must have felt. I hurt for her. Verse 26 tells us what's hap what happens next. Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Isn't that full of irony? That's a little dig. Because remember that Jacob had told Laban his whole story, so he told him, and I'm just assuming that he told him about Esau. He goes, well, what happened was, you know, Esau came in one day. He's really hungry. I had this suit, and I, I tricked him out of his birthright. It was beautiful. It was so awesome until Esau didn't take it so good, and he's really mad and wants to kill me now, so here I am. And I mean, he just lays this story out of how he had behaved in this. And so he knows that you're the younger, and you've got the birthright. That's, and he says, well, that's great. Maybe where you're where you come from, that's the way you guys do business. But you know what? Here, that's not the way it's going to work. The younger may get the blessing, but here, the firstborn always goes first. We're not going to have any of your stuff. We're not, you're, you're, the way you do, that, that's not going to work here. You know, just like that, Jacob knows he's been had. He's on the other side of one of these deals for once. It's almost like that saying, what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. Jacob is getting a taste of, of his own medicine. Now, I just want to make a note here um, that I just really put into the, to this last night. When, when you're a God follower, if you are a Christian, and you try living outside of God's plan, his heart and his will, this place of blessing for your life, even though you belong to him, actually especially because you belong to him, no matter how smart you are, no matter how good you are at manipulating and scheming and working things around, you know, the way you, you want them to do, in the morning, it's always Leah. In the morning, it's always going to be Leah. You can fool your parents your boss, your friends, uh, the tax guy, uh, your, your husband, your wife. You can fool all these people, but you know what? God will always be moving and working behind the scenes in your life to draw your heart back to him. 
back to a place of repentance. And you may have us all fooled. You may think, you know what, I think I'm kind of getting away. God sees you. And that's the flip side of this promise. You know, God says, uh, hey, Jacob, I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. Uh, that has something else attached to it that maybe we don't see. Uh, so it, just to know that, you know, you, you're going to have... You know, I used to hear Dr. Rogers say, a Christian has a more miserable time and has a harder time sinning than a lost man, <laughs> you know, because God is after you, because he loves you with such passion now. Now look at verse 27. He says, complete the work of this one, and we will give you the other one also in return for serving me another seven years. So Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his servant, excuse me, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So, finally, 14 years later, Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. And I bet that first seven years, the Bible says it went by just like a few days. I bet that seven years, I bet it didn't go by so fast. You know, I bet that was a, a little slower. Now, I want you to tell me, uh, as I read this, do you notice something missing in this part of the story? Is there something absent as we've read those 30 verses together? God. Where's God? He is never mentioned in 30 verses. Not one time. And that brings me all the way back to where we started. In Jacob's dream, God said, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm going to watch over you everywhere you go. Wherever you go, I'm right there. And God was certainly with Jacob through all these experiences that we just read about. But I don't think that Jacob realized what all comes with God being with you and God making this promise. I'm always going to be with you. Uh, understand what that means. And i just be honest, I don't think we understand either. There are moments when we need comfort, when we're hurt, when we're scared, when our dreams are burning to the ground, and it looks like everything, you know, is just the wheels have come off, and we have this one comfort. Oh, but God is with me. God, you have never abandoned me. You've always been there. My darkest days and my best moments, you're always there. But know this too, that your most depraved, your worst sin, most shameful thing that just comes back to your heart and imagination, God was there. He is there in that moment just as much as in all the others. So God is with him. And when God promises to be with you, you might be getting more than you bargained for. Now, there's some implications uh, about this promise. Um, and, and I think it's helpful to remember to know that there's a similar story that was just played out a few chapters ago. In Genesis 24, uh, Abraham sends his servant to the same place 
to find a wife for his son, uh, Isaac, who is Jacob's dad. History's like repeating itself here. So we have two stories, two bachelors making the same trip with the same agenda. They, they come up to the exact same well, uh, and, and this future wife is arriving, and both discover this woman is marriageable. Is that a word? Um, she's a bachelorette, and, and she's a relative, a cousin, and I know that's a little weird for us. Uh, well, not so much in East Tennessee. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, don't be. Okay. Um, but then it was totally acceptable, um, kind of a, th- a thing culturally and everything. So they, they both go to Laban's house. Same guy. They're welcomed with open arms, and both end up getting the bride they came for. But even though the outline and the basics of the story kind of line up, there's a lot in there that plays out differently. And there's one big difference, and that's this. In the first story, people seem to be paying attention to God. They pray to God. They listen to God. They worship God. He's so involved in their lives. And all that prayerful activity that you see in chapter 24 is totally missing in chapter 29. Jacob, keep this in mind, what we talked about last week. Jacob had just seen Jesus. He's standing at the foot of the stairs at the bottom of this ladder, and he looks up, and there stands King Jesus, the Bible says, right over him. At least that's what I think is a visible manifestation of God. There he is. There's God. And these angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And he has this moment, and in that place, he says, I'm going to be with you forever. Just like he's told us, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Lo, until the end of the age, I'm always going to be there. And he makes that promise. And then God leads him to the exact place that he's looking for. Uh, he meets this beautiful girl. Uh, he gains a place that he can call home. He gets a good job. I mean, life's going pretty well for Jacob. What more could he ask for? And with the way things that unfold, you would think, I mean, we see that even in ordinary circumstances of life, and especially in the extraordinary moments where we know how blessed we are, we need to pray God into our stories. You need to pray God into your story. Think about all the ways that Jacob could have prayed for God's blessings. He could have extended that, but never once, at least in Scripture, not one time did Jacob offer up even a single prayer. And I think it would have been, the whole Scripture, it just would have, this story would have been so different if he had. And if in looking at Laban, he'd have said, wow, this guy reminds me of somebody. Oh, me. I don't want to be him. I don't want to be that guy. And if he'd have just prayed honestly. Listen, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, do this. Ask God to help you to see yourself honestly. Stop playing games. Stop kidding yourself. Stop being delusional. I took some counseling classes in seminary, and one of the classes just was particularly good. And as part of the exercise of that class, we would get together in small groups, and we would do these case studies. 
and they would typically be kind of complicated. It would be like, here's this going on and this, and then that, that, this solution won't work that you learned, you know, back there because, oh, this is also going on. And so you kind of had to think through that. But one of the things I noticed in that class is that we were so dispassionate. I mean, we're sitting there, I'm like 24, 25, and, and I'm solving all these problems. I'm going, you know what? And, and I'm, I'm very analytical about it. And the professor, who is this brilliant Christian psychiatrist, uh, he's actually authored some books. I mean, just this beautiful man. Um, he, he said something one day. He said, stop, students. He said, imagine you in the story. Given your quirks, your sin, your blind spots, your personality, all your fears, all your strengths, what would this situation do to you? How would you have responded? What would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? Then he said this, because you are always part of the story. You're always part of the story. That changed the way I thought about it. And I remember looking at my own family and my friends and, 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 and the encounters I'd had in church and, and, and other situations of life and on the job, and I realized... It's never just the circumstance. It's never just what's happened. It's the people. It's the relationships that make up the dynamics of all of that. And I wonder how this might have been different if Jacob had realized that. And if he had said, oh God, I have been so deceptive with my family. And if he had just talked to the Lord honestly and said, I have done a lot of damage to my brother Esau. I really hurt him. Uh, and, and I have this ripple effect in my life. You see, sometimes you think, well, what I do is just about me. It just affects me. It's, it's not about you. It, doesn't, it, doesn't, it, do, it affects us. He calls this hurt not only to his own soul, but his brothers and sisters and these other families. Guys, we are seldom sufficiently aware of our own hearts, our own sins our own fears, our own baggage, our own blind spots. And these are the very things that define and uh, you know, shape our experiences. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When I think of myself, I want it to be with sober judgment. I want it to be with clarity and accuracy and honesty. And I need God's help to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to keep playing games. And you know what we're going to do? What you'll do is this. You'll either be the hero in every story or the victim in every story. Am I right? And it's prayer that will make the chief difference between the stories of Genesis 24 and Genesis 29. And that difference is teaching me that whatever I face, I've got to ask for God's wisdom. I've got to ask for God's guidance. God wants us to think through, you know, all these things. And he won't always make that decision for you, but he will guide you. And he's willing to help us to think wisely. Otherwise, you're going, you're going to miss it. Prayer, to me, is, is like putting glasses on. 
or contacts in. Prayer corrects your vision. And it does so with immediate clarity. You know, it just, I remember the first time I ever, you know, put on corrective lenses. It was just this beautiful, have you ever done that? Those of you who may, I was nearsighted, I was like 11 or 12 years old. And I remember stepping out, Dr. Feinbaum was his name. Um, yeah, he's a guy in, in our, you know, where I lived. And, and I remember stepping to the front of his office and I looked across the parking lot and I could see trees and there was a McDonald's and I could not believe the detail and everything that had looked blurry and I didn't know. You know, I mean, I'm sitting in class and the teacher would write a math problem up on the board and I'm trying to write and memorize it as she's doing it. I thought that's what everybody was doing. They're like, no, we can keep seeing it because we can see the board. And that's how they figured out something's not right. And putting those on, you can see. Prayer will do that for you. I'm just saying, you may not have an immediate answer, but don't just talk about prayer and don't just say, you know, because here's what I've, I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on all of us because I want us to take this step of faith into prayer. We say we pray, and we talk about prayer about ten times more than we actually physically, verbally pray. So stop all that and just pray. and Watch how your vision starts getting sharp. You begin to be able to see into the situation and go, oh, I hadn't noticed these facts about it before. I didn't think about these implications. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. Prayer helps us to think better. And to see God as part of that issue. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, me, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given him. It'll be given. So whatever you face, thank God for his kindness. Thank God for his faithfulness. Uh, there's this other difference in these two stories in, in, in Genesis 24, I want you to see this verse. Uh, go back. It's actually a couple of verses in 26 and 27. Um, look at what he says. This is so sweet. He says, The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way uh, to the house of my master's kinsman. See, I just give, hey, Jacob, why didn't you pray that? The same thing happened for you, but Jacob never thanked God for anything. For the safe journey, for this guidance, this remarkable direction that he was given, the girl, he gets the girl. I mean, you know, all of these things. You know what, when you determine to be grateful to God, to be thankful to him, you're going to develop an eye for God's handiwork in your environments. You're going to start seeing it. Well, that was the Lord. Well, wasn't the Lord... Kathy's so good at this. She's the best person in my life to see God in all these situations. You know, we'd be like, oh, this happened. And i go, oh, that was so cool. And Kathy said, wasn't the Lord good? That was just the Lord. Look how that... I think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, because I'm pretty spiritual too. And I saw, I, yeah, I was all over that. And, and she's already there. Gratitude develops God-oriented people. And I just wonder, I just wonder how Jacob's story would have been different if he would have acknowledged how God had led him, if he had just prayed for, for that. And the lesson for us is just so clear today, folks. If, if God is always with us, and he is, then we need to pray him into our stories. We need to pray him into the story. Because God is doing this work of a loving father uh, in our life. He was doing it in Jacob's life. And in Jacob, 
Uh, he, he meets his match in Laban, doesn't he? I mean, he meets this guy, and it's like, oh, I've met somebody that can, can do this. And he has all these years of, you know, drudgery and work and all of this stuff. And I think, I think God purposefully brought Laban into his life. I don't like Laban's. You know, I just wish I liked everybody in my life. I wish, and I do, I like everybody in this room. Um, but, you know, you know you, you just, there's these people in your life, maybe it's your dad or your mom, or maybe it's your roommate. You know, I, I've had some, woo, roommates, and, you know, and just people in my life, and you have too, right? Your next-door neighbor, you think, that guy's crazy. Why did he move in next door to me? I really think, and I'm not talking about my next-door neighbors who live here. Yeah, God bless you. You're, what a great guy, and can I borrow your chainsaw? Um, I'm talking about those people in your life that you just think, Lord. And sometimes I think God, I think God not only allows those people, I think he puts them there on purpose. I think God's like, I can't get through to you. I'm trying to play nice. You don't get it. Laban. <laughs> Boom. Now, we'll knock off some of those rough edges. And we're just going to work on you a little bit. And that person's going to stay in your life until you get it. So, you know, I'm just kidding. Kind of. Not really. Um, but, but God's going to work that. And I don't, think, I don't think Jacob grasped who he was. I don't think he really got the kind of guy he was. I think if he looked in the mirror, he just think, mm, Jacob, you the man, you the man. Until he met Laban. I think he started thinking, am I like that? Do I act like that? Do I? Uh, yeah, actually, you're a lot like that. And you don't know how you've missed that. We all know it. <laughs> Having God with us all the time means that we constantly face ourselves in God's mirror. We're always looking in that mirror. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're walking through or what kind of situation you're in. Uh, but are you willing to face yourself? Are you willing to see what you're really like? Because i got to tell you, that's the way God works with us. It's going to be hard for him to move you into a place of blessing until you get real about who you are. And there's one other thing about this before we go. Um, Jacob's situation, you know, it's just so heartbreaking. It's just such a tangled, painful mess. Uh, it's a mess with Isaac with Rebecca, with Esau, back in Beersheba, you know, his brother hates him, and now it's a mess where he is now. I mean, he's, he moves into this brand new place, clean slate, and he messes it up. You know, some of you moved to Knoxville, and you get a job, and you think, clean start, clean start, and in a year, two years, a month, you mess it up. You come to a brand new university, and you think, okay, new notebooks, everything, brand new backpack, you know, I'm ready, got my toms, I'm just ready, brand new experience. And then you mess it up because you're still you. I'm sorry. And I think that's what Jacob had to figure out. But the beautiful thing, and this is what I want to wrap up with, the, 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 the thing I love about Jacob, because I got a little Jacob in me. I got a little Jacob in me. It's a mess, but it's not a hopeless mess. Because all these tangled knots are, and you've heard the story of God's tapestry. On one side, it just looks it's just awful. On the other side, it's beautiful. He's weaving something beautiful on the other side of Jacob's life. And even though it doesn't look like it right now, Jacob was, through all of this that's going on, and through all of his heartache, he is becoming a man of faith. 
He is the guy who would one day bless his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, with God's own word. Despite all the heartache, he's becoming the man who's going to wrestle with God and succeed. Consider that, that God gave him Leah, this unloved wife, but through her, four sons in quick succession are born, and one of them, Levi, becomes the forefather of Moses. And another, Judah, becomes the forefather of David, whose line would bring about Jesus. Jacob's life is a mess, but it is a beautiful mess. Maybe you feel like that. God, my life is such a mess. But God may be moving in you so that you would become a woman of faith, of power, and of spiritual vitality, that you could be the man that God has made you to be. The days of God working like this are not over. It extends into our life, into our life. That we are the blessed people. Uh, we become the feet, the hands, the eyes of Christ in this lost world. And we have this promise of heaven, this new earth. Sometimes just the ordinariness of life, just this day-to-day thing, we forget that when God promises, I'm with you, and I'm going to watch over you everywhere you go, he means that not just to, to Jacob, but for us. It's for you. It's for you. God is with you, and you are a part of this grand, beautiful, eternal plan, this story that God is telling. You're part of God's story. You may be at a place where you need to pray yourself into that. You need to pray God into your story. Wherever you are, whatever chapter you're living right now, God wants to be a part of it. Would you stand with me, please? And let's just pray God into our stories. And it may be that you've never done that. You know, like like Barry, who just recently prayed God into his story at age 25 in a McDonald's. You may say, you know what, I've never done that. You need to pray God into your story. Or maybe you did when you were a child. But you've wandered, like Jacob, a long way from home. If you want one of us to pray with you, we would be absolutely delighted to do that. If you just want to come forward and pray alone, you can do that. You can pray where you're standing. But let it begin with that. Father, we want the difference in our lives to be between Genesis 24 and 29. It's the fact that we invited you to be a part of this and that we pray you into our story that we do that now. We thank you that you're always with us. We thank you that you watch over us in the, in the amazing, affectionate way that you do. And I pray that today there would be redemption, there would be healing, there would be peace, there would be salvation. In Jesus' name, for your glory, Lord, we are a part of your story.